You're listening to the oneofus.net podcast network. Oneofus.net and all of the shows on it are 100% subscriber supported. Please consider becoming a subscriber to oneofus.net. Keep the site and all of our great shows going and get some terrific bonus content as well. Hungry for adventure? Then travel to a la carte, the charming land below the floating city of heavenly delight, and join the young cook ramen for her daily dose of wacky hijinks in the new series Delicious. With a cast of eccentric, strong female characters, this wonderfully illustrated comedy comic will be out in July, but you can pre-order now by clicking the banner on the page for this podcast. Get the limited hardcover first edition, plus free stickers and an art print as a gift. Wow, stickers! A perfect gift for your child, or those of you who are forever young at heart. One of us strongly recommends this one. I've worked for the same state agency for like 15 years, and I know people who are counting the days until they can retire. I mean, they're like prisoners. They're, they might as well be in their cubicles just scratching off lines in the wall until they know when they can retire. They're just so ready to leave. As for myself, that's too depressing to think about. It's so long away. But I will say this. If I had to retire, I'm not sure what the hell I would do with myself. But I hope I can retire as well as Steven Soderbergh has, because that son of a bitch has retired years ago, and he still keeps cranking out work. I don't know how he does it. <laughs> That's the most active retiree in the world. I mean, he probably gets like those American Association of Retired People uh, mail-outs, uh, mailers, and, and so forth. And he's like, I don't need them. I'm not really retired, because I just keep working, because I'm Steven fucking Soderbergh. Well, if you're listening this far, you probably have already figured out we're talking about the latest Steven Soderbergh film, No Sudden Move. And here to help me talk about it is Adrian. Hello, hello. And Trevor. Good afternoon, everyone. Well, anytime we have a new Soderbergh joint, it's always worth talking about. This is already available on HBO Max and in some theaters. It's a mystery thriller set in the 1950s in Detroit. This stars the, an amazing cast headlined by the always great Don Cheadle and Benicio Del Toro as two low-life criminals who are hired to do a job of babysitting, a.k.a. holding a family hostage. The plan is that the man of the house, played by David Harbour, is going to be forced to go to his office at the GM building and retrieve a top-secret document from a safe. Once he brings it back, they'll let the family go but of course shit goes south and Kurt and Ronald find themselves on the run trying to evade the guys who hired them, two rival mafia gangs, the FBI, and representatives of the automobile industry. What happens next has a lot of twists and turns, and I'm really, really curious to see how you guys felt about this. I like these new Steven Soderbergh films because I, I completely forgot the fact that he's supposed to be retired. <laughs> but I also like that they seem to just come out of nowhere. Like, I don't remember seeing a trailer for this. I don't remember hearing the, that this is in production. And it's wild because it has this crazy stacked cast. I mean, we do have Don Cheadle and um, Del Toro in it. But we also have Julia Fox fresh off uh, her first role right after uh, Uncut Gems. We have uh, the the return of the king, Brendan Fraser, yeah. in 
uh, his his chubbiest, most adorable role I've seen him in in, in a while. <laughs> Which um, adorable? Yeah, the word <laughs> I would pick for Brendan Fraser's character in this movie. But yes, this is his touch of evil. There's something about him that just seems like he's like a teddy bear with a gun and a hat, and I I, I dig it. I, I dig his vibe throughout this whole thing. That being said, if you were to ask me to explain this film in detail, there was a point where I was like, I'm actually not entirely sure what's going on, but I'm kind of digging it. I'm digging the dialogue, and I'm I'm liking these characters. And if there's a strong suit for this movie, I feel like it's going to be the characters. Yeah, and you touched on a great point, Adrian, because this cast is indeed stacked. You mentioned some of the top-lined people in this, but we've also got John Hamm. We've got Ray Liotta. we got Kieran Culkin, uh, Noah Choup, Amy Simmons. Uh, you already mentioned Julia Fox. Bill Duke makes an appearance in this. It's really incredible how Soderbergh, like you said, just manages to make these films under the radar and yet, seemingly every good actor in town wants to work with this guy. You know, I really enjoyed this. There were some directorial choices here that I'm not sure how I feel about. There's some cinematography in here that at times made me feel a little dizzy. <laughs> there is so much fisheye. I, I don't know that there's anything that isn't fisheye in this. It is almost entirely shot with very wide lenses. Fisheye, we might be exaggerating a little bit. I mean... This doesn't look like a Beastie Boys video, okay? Not quite, but not far off either. It's noticeable, for sure. And I I think it's noticeable because they do fisheye every time they introduce, like, a new character. And at the beginning of the movie, that's, like, the first, like, five or six scenes is just introducing new people. So you do notice it. You notice, like, the buildings warping and, <laughs> and stuff like that. It is kind of like... Oh, this is kind of maybe too much, but but it, it calms down. So if that's going to be like, oh, I don't want to watch it now. Like, no, you should still check it out. We've got this great opening bit that's just Don Cheadle walking through the streets while we roll our opening credits. And there's a lot of camera movement in that. And so the combination of the, the kind of fisheye effect and the fact that it's panning across a, a cityscape just kind of gave me that like... Ugh. I don't know if I feel so good right now. Well, it's definitely unsettling and sort of quiz-inducing, and I think that's intentional. It's a well-known secret that whenever you're watching a Soderbergh film, you might see a credit for a cinematographer and an editor, but it's Soderbergh. He's really a one-man show. And he does make that decision, and it's not his first time trying to just experiment with cameras and lenses. And when he makes a choice, he really sticks to it further than most directors would. I mean, I give the guy credit for that. Everything he does, no matter how conventional the material may seem, he always finds that sort of experimental angle to play with, if nothing else, just to make it interesting for himself. I'm just happy that he didn't use fucking uh, soft focus, which he does in like so many of his movies, and it always makes me feel like my glasses are dirty, <laughs> and I just, I just can't tell if they are or not. It, it bugs me the entire... Like, uh, for um, The Informant, that one, holy shit. <laughs> but this one, technically, I do think it's a really good-looking movie. Acting-wise, I really feel like that depends on how much you like the principal cast. Like, I think Don Cheadle does a really good job. I think Benicio Del Toro does a good job at being him, essentially. Like, if you've seen one Benicio Del Toro character, I don't think he's too different in this from any other time where he was in, like, a heist movie. The one that I'm, like really i i feel bad for even bringing this up 
But I, I was really excited to see that Julia Fox was in this because I had no idea. Uh, and from her first scene onward, I was thinking, uh, I'm not sure if she's that good. <laughs> and I don't know if that's Steven Soderbergh's fault or whose fault that was because she's definitely proven that she can act. But I, I'm hoping she, it's not one of those things where like she can only act if she's kind of portraying herself in a way. Well, let's be fair. When you're acting against Adam Sandler, everybody looks better. Well, I don't know for Uncut <laughs> Gems. I think that's one of Adam Sandler's like best performances. So, if 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 she was in if she was in That's My Boy or something, then I wouldn't get that. Anytime he actually acts, it makes all of his other performances look different by comparison. I mean, you're just like, oh yeah, I forgot this guy could do that. I actually like Julia Fox in this. We should point out that because of its 1950s setting, all of the women in this are predictably. Uh, frustrated, long-suffering girlfriends, housewives, secretaries, mistresses, or some combination thereof. Yet, I, to your point, Adrian, I think in the limited time they have, all of these actresses make an impression and provide some depth to those characters. And one of the things that happens in this movie consistently is that Soderbergh and his screenwriter, Ed Solomon, they have a way of parsing out information when you don't expect it, sometimes long after you would have expected it. So in the case of Julia Fox, we meet her very early on, and all we really know about her is that she has a romantic relationship with the Del Toro character. Once she kind of surprisingly returns halfway through the film, it provides, uh, I think, a really welcome addition of energy in the back half of this movie. But I do think a lot of people are going to find this movie and its structure frustrating. You know, I I, I agree with you. I don't know that this is going to be for everybody, <clears throat> but this was totally in my lane. I love period crime dramas. Uh, I love this cast. It's an amazing cast. Uh, I think my hot take on Facebook was it, it was uh, one part the nice guys to three parts uh, devil in a blue dress like. This is really scratching that itch from the mid-90s that I got reading all of those Easy Rollins, Walter Mosley novels, watching the Denzel Washington movie. And I think it's because there is a subtext here of class and caste and who we are in the system and where we're supposed to be. And I think part of the female frustration on screen is that. Now, that's not particularly dwelt upon. That's not the central theme of the movie. But I think those those caste systems, those layers, and those roles that we find ourselves in in society are are pretty present here, and that's something that you see shot through uh, Walter Mosley. So this this was a good shot of that easy Rollins tonic for me. Yeah, I totally agree. And if I have any real nitpick about the film, it's that yes, it is playing with some very big themes, and I think it's almost shooting for like that Chinatown kind of status towards the end. But the problem is, this is kind of a tip of the iceberg movie. You get a lot of hints, you get a lot of references to real-life things, real-life corruption in Detroit. Real neighborhoods are mentioned that were completely bulldozed over to make way for the highways that the automobile industry wanted. Yet it, it doesn't ever really hammer those points home. It's just kind of name-dropped or referenced. I kind of wish they had leaned into those themes a little bit more. They're certainly, like I said, tip of the iceberg. It's there under the surface. It's implied. It's name-checked. 
But really, this isn't the kind of movie where anybody like gets on a soapbox and makes some grand statement. It's just kind of a bunch of guys moving along with the plot and real world shit is kind of happening in the background. Well, and I think that's also part of the point is we're so focused on our thing, the thing that's right in front of us, and then the other guys don't care. Here in the background, we've got this very big problem, this thing that's brewing. And really, the the most indictful the movie gets of anything, I guess, socioeconomically, politically, is we get a title card at one point. Yeah. Kind of explaining the real world uh, situation behind this movie. And I, it was it was a good moment. Like it punched me, and I I sat down and I thought about it a lot. But at the same time, it did also feel like, oh, by the way, this is sort of based on a true story. Here's the rest of this, and then the entire two hours of the movie was just a really good pulp yarn. Yeah, and I wouldn't even say based on a true story, but definitely influenced by some real world events. That's a better way of putting it. It's a piece of fiction cut from some real world cloth. And put together very tastefully by Soderbergh, as he always does. Kind of coming back to that structure issue, which I was curious about what you guys had to say. I, I recently read some interviews with Steven Soderbergh and screenwriter Ed Solomon, who's probably better known for films like Men in Black, or he wrote all of the uh, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure films. So that's exactly the guy you think of for 1950s period piece drama. But they said from their very first meeting, they wanted to tell a kind of genre story, a noir, a mystery, but they didn't want to play by the rules of the mystery where this isn't like a, a, the kind of situation where you have two guys who hate each other and by the end of the picture, they've come to like one another and respect one another. Nobody gets any big lessons. You do get a plot resolution. You do get clues. The mystery does get solved. They're going to give you the backstory, but not when you expect it. And I think that's going to frustrate a lot of people in the middle of this picture who might give up on it too early. See, and I I, I want to be right there with you guys, but uh, I'm not sure. Maybe I just uh, I'm I'm a little bit too ADHD and I just like I kind of need something to kind of keep moving. My problem with the movie came when it kind of veered away from being a more kind of standard thriller heist movie. Like I really do love the opening of this and when shit starts going down. Like there's there's a there's a scene early on where they're holding a family hostage that we kind of mentioned earlier. All that stuff is riveting. What happens with David Harbour is riveting. And then how that ends was a real kind of like, oh shit, what's gonna happen now type moment. And I, I was really digging that. I, I thought this was exciting. I even texted my friend, oh, you got, you got to watch this because this is like, this is that Steven Soderbergh that I love. And then I feel like I just, I sent that text a little too early <laughs> because I feel like it kind of slows down a bit and it slows down to introduce more plot and to introduce more characters. And there's still some kind of double cross going on. There's still, but it, but it also brings in those kind of like social economic kind of plots or kind of points that it, it wants to tell. Personally, I just feel like they're all kind of like, I understand these things and I've seen them already and I do realize that this is a problem, but I'm, I'm so much liking what y'all were doing that I really would just rather if you get back to that. Maybe it's my fault for thinking that the Steven Soderbergh film would be like a little bit more conventional, like something like Ocean's Eleven or um, even something like he did recently, like Unsane. It's a Steven Soderbergh film, but it still plays like 
kind of like a slasher, like a psychological horror. And I, I love that movie. Uh, and this one is just, uh, it, it did. I, I'm sorry to say, but it did just kind of bore me at points. Not to the point where I was ever like, I'm going to stop this movie and I dislike it. I, I still liked it. I, I kind of like how it wrapped up too. Like I mentioned earlier, if you're going to watch it for the characters and for these actors that you really respect and like, you're going to get something out of it. I've mentioned Brendan Fraser already. He's kind of at the center of this plot going down. Like he's the one who kind of gets stuff started. Just seeing him pop up on screen and swear and <laughs> try to be intimidating and stuff <laughs> like that. That alone for me was worth watching because I haven't seen Brendan Fraser forever. Maybe, okay, he's in Doom Patrol, but as a voice, I, for, for stuff like that, I feel like you're going to dig it. But if any of what Marco or Trevor said kind of has you like scratching your head and feeling a little fuzzy and dumb like I am, uh, maybe you're not going to dig it as much. <laughs> I hear what you're saying. I kind of felt that way myself. There were moments where I was confused. You do get the answers. You do get the resolution. You do get that character background that allows everything to fall into place. The problem is once you have a puzzle piece that's introduced, you actually have to go backwards in time to connect it to something that happened several scenes earlier. And this is something that both Solomon and Soderbergh uh, said they wanted to do, where they wanted to make the audience lean in and really try to work to figure out what's going on. This plot, even though the setup is very simple, it takes a lot of twists and turns. At the end, I feel like you do get the whole story, but you do have to work for it. If you're feeling like, hey, this isn't for me, I trust me, stick with it. You will get those answers. You're just not going to get them at the exact moments that we've become accustomed to. Why don't we go ahead and start leaning into our final thoughts? Trevor, I'd love to hear some of your final thoughts on this. Uh, final thoughts on this. I do want to specifically shout out David Harbour, who is absolutely not his character from Stranger Things. This is a different David Harbour. He's stretching. He's showing his range here. He's kind of an aw shucks, very put upon, very non-aggressive, kind of a, a hen-pecked person. I really enjoyed seeing him in a different kind of role. I enjoyed every performance in this. This movie saw me coming. It's like they just basically stuck me up for my wallet in the alleyway <laughs> and just said, dude, we got what you, we, we got some of this good pulpy noir. You want this? You want this pulp? <laughs> and, uh, you know, I was just, I bought in hook, line, and sinker. I really enjoyed this. Um, I think I'm going to give this eight out of ten arithmetics. <laughs> nice. Adrian? I, I really liked the moments that I really liked. And I really was bored through the moments that I was bored through. I'm not really <laughs> sure how deep to go into this movie. Uh, like I said, I do like Steven Soderbergh's films. And I do think if you're going in this for the cast, you're not going to get disappointed. But you may start looking at your phone. You may find excuses to get up and make yourself a drink or something like that. And I don't blame you if you do. But it's still a good movie. It's still definitely worth watching. It's just, it's just a shame that I really did think it started fantastic and great and i was like i'm gonna fucking love this movie and it kind of just ended up like uh, that was pretty decent i liked it uh it, it, it's a good sunday morning watch which is when i saw it go check it out i'm gonna give this um three big hugs that i want to give brendan fraser <laughs> out of five like i said earlier i think some people are going to be frustrated by this film I personally dug it but i understand why they might be frustrated because i myself was confused at moments there's a lot of MacGuffins, there's a lot of twists and turns, 
There's a lot of characters, all of whom have their own motives, their own agendas, their own plans. It's really, really convoluted. And some people may feel that the trip is just way too onerous to justify the little payoff that we get at the end. Because this isn't a movie about payoffs. Like I said, nobody learns any valuable lessons. The system doesn't get taken down. People just try to live. They try to get ahead. And most of the time, no matter how well their plans work out, they still end up losing. This is a really, really bleak, very cynical, very bitter type of film. And yet, thanks to Soderbergh and Solomon's work and the work of their cast, it's all done with a very light touch. You almost don't realize what an angry bummer of a movie this is. It practically screams, hey, it's all worthless. We're all screwed. The poor are poor. The rich just keep getting richer. And they don't even have to try. It just all falls in their lap because the whole system has been rigged in their favor. It's really going to be a slog for some people. But if you get through that middle half, which I think is very, very intentional, uh, I think it's intentionally confusing. I think that fisheye lens choice is definitely there to put you off, to make you feel like this world is confusing and overwhelming and not completely comprehensible. It raises a classic question of, if I'm confused, is the movie bad? Or, if it's intentional, is it a good movie because the filmmakers were actually successful in their intent to confuse me? I think it's a little bit of both. I would have liked a little bit more clarity. I actually think this could have been better as a longer film, maybe even a miniseries. I'd watch six hours of this with this cast, with this story, but given more time to explore some of the themes they just kind of touch on and given us more time to just get to know these characters who are all presented as, I won't say ciphers, but it's very clear no one's going to sit around and talk about their backstory. They all have shit to do. They're all trying to survive. Uh, particularly the Don Cheadle character who's trying to play all of these factions against one another with an accomplice in the form of Benicio Del Toro's character who is not always trustworthy. Uh, I had a lot of fun with it. I think it's worth a shot. Even minor Soderbergh is worth checking out. I'm going to give this 8 out of 10 little books hidden in your suitcase. And you know... Of all the people to retire, why did Soderbergh have to retire? You know, I think a lot, I think more filmmakers should retire. Maybe then they'd start making some good shit. You know, Stanley Kubrick should have retired. If he had retired, we'd probably have 10 more Kubrick films. But no, he was just a working director, <laughs> only making one film a year, a decade. But that's what I like about Soderbergh. Maybe this didn't work for everybody, but he doesn't care. He got his movie made. You paid to watch it in a theater, or you paid HBO Max to watch it. And if it works, great. If not, he's off to do another one. He doesn't always hit a home run, but he always swings for the fences. And I think that's great in a filmmaker. It just makes it sound like we were the con the whole time. <laughs> Maybe the real con is the friends we made along the way. <laughs>